welcome to this week's edition of the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, joined today by SIS VP of Football, Matt Benacharian. Hey, Mark. And R&D Associate Bryce Rossler. Hi, howdy. We're coming off of Bananas Week 9, in which the Bills, Cowboys, Saints, and Raiders all got upset. Titans went on the road against the Rams, and the Browns got a big win in Cincinnati. I think that's where we're going to start. For all the things that happened in Week 9, Matt, what got your attention the most this week? ODB, that's Odell Beckham Jr. I don't call him OBGA. I I, I shout out the great ODB there. But we were absolutely wrong, and very quickly wrong, Mark, when we said that the Browns were better off with him than without him. What was that, two weeks ago? But yeah, they got nothing there. Should have traded him clearly in retrospect based on the way things were going for whatever they could have gotten. Now it'll be somebody that's going to sign him on the open market and we'll see who that is. It looks like it might not happen until the next couple of days, but I know he hasn't been great over the last few years, but I'm really interested to see where he ends up because I do think it could change the Super Bowl picture. You know, you picture him in Tampa Bay, for example, with all of their receiving weapons. There's no reason to think like somebody like Antonio Brown, who's become such a, a vital part of, uh, you know, one of the Super Bowl contenders. There's no reason to think that you couldn't see Odell Beckham Jr. joining somewhere and kind of getting back into his old form if he's with the right quarterback. One team that's been mentioned is Kansas City. That's an offense that's had its its struggles lately. You get him in there, all of a sudden, he can really change the way that you have to defend them. All of a sudden, all those double teams going to Tyreek Hill, there might be something extra there. Uh, You look at a Green Bay and all the attention that Devontae Adams gets, adding an extra weapon there. I think there are places where it could be really interesting. He could change things. More likely than not, he doesn't change anything. But there are a couple places where I think he could really be a weapon for somebody that's trying to make a run. Making it sound like the rich get richer with whichever team signs him. Bryce, I know you want to talk about the opposite side of that game, the the Browns' big win over Cincinnati. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that I would call it a big win just because I've been on Bengals regression watch basically all season long. I think we started to see the chinks in their armor in that loss to the Browns. Throughout the season, they've had a lot of success on deep ball variants. They've had a lot of gimme throws underneath. That stuff wasn't there against the Browns, and the offense really struggled because of it. I am personally not a big believer in Joe Burrow, so I think the Bengals are starting to come back down to earth, and I don't necessarily know that that's a surprising development for me, but it was one that I enjoyed seeing because people have been very loud about how wrong myself and others were about the Bengals. And I think it's all coming back around. So I'm excited about that. For what it's worth, Bryce, total points for the most part agrees with you. Joe Burrow, 18th in total points so far this year and 23rd on a rate basis. So, you know, he's right there next to Mac Jones, which is probably a more appropriate kind of evaluation of the player when you, when you compare to kind of a lot of the, the noise that's out there. Like, yeah, we know Jamar Chase is really, really good, but it, to an extent, we have to be able to separate you know, everybody likes to use EPA as a quarterback stat. We need to be able to separate the quarterback performance from the passing game performance. And I think he's been good, but I think trying to put him into that Justin Herbert conversation has been o- overstated. So when you combine offensive performance, defensive performance, and special teams and use total points per game, the Bengals come out tied for 19th with the 49ers the, and actually uh, two spots behind the Chiefs, interestingly enough. So they are in by our view, statistically, a bottom half team in the NFL in this given moment. I want to shift gears and talk quarterbacks, one of whom has the current week off. The other probably will, so long as Aaron Rodgers is healthy. Bryce, I know you stand uh, Justin Fields pretty hard, 
What did you think of his play on Monday night? So his game against the Steelers was easily his best game as a pro so far in terms of results. But I don't actually think that it was this moment where Justin Fields finally crested the horizon or anything or something started clicking for him. I think his process for much of the year has been really good. And the results the past couple of weeks, especially the Monday night game against the Steelers, started to show themselves. When everything is working and the offensive line isn't conceding pressure and receivers are actually getting open, he operates really quickly, really efficiently, impressed with his mental processing in that regard. And he can make a lot of throws on the run, obviously, can hurt you on the ground as a design runner, as a scrambler. And I think all that was on display against the Steelers and his team context got a little better that game. And, and he was finally able to show why he had so much hype coming out of school. Bryce, have you been noticing something that they've done differently with Justin Fields in the last week or two? Cause he also played really well against the 49ers or is it just like you're saying, just the maturity or is there schematics that have changed? I don't necessarily think any schematics have changed. I think the offensive design is pretty bad. They have a lot of spacing issues in the passing game, especially on these low horizontal stretches that Nagy likes to run. Their receivers have a tough time getting open. I think the past couple of weeks, the receiving play has been a little bit better. And that's by being better results out of fields. But this narrative that, that stems back to the draft process about fields holding the ball too long just, just falls apart when you watch the all 22 because you you see these instances where he's holding the ball and, and people just aren't open that's not to say that he's been perfect i think the the biggest criticism i have of him right now is that he's just flat out missing some throws in terms of accuracy which is a little troubling but i think the receiving play has been better these past couple of weeks and and that's given fields more of an opportunity to show what he can do Matt, you said last week that Jordan Love was physically ready to play, but mentally he was a TBA. What did you see from him last week? Yeah, I mean, it's still still to be seen, the, that, that sort of progression. Negative expected points added, 40% positive play rate. His rating, you know, his quarterback rating, traditional rating was 70. But after you account for drops and other factors that are out of his control, his IQR, his independent quarterback rating, was actually just 53. Usually you see the independent quarterback rating higher than the quarterback rating when you, when you eliminate the drops. In his case, he was actually lucky to have the quarterback rating of 70. Only 17 of his 34 attempts on target, under 100 completed air yards, so not pushing the ball downfield at, at all. The only statistical thing that you can point to in his favor is that he was pressured 20 times. That was more than, than half of his dropbacks, but it was exactly the, the drop-off that, that Vegas and everybody else expected from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. He's going to need need a lot of development back there, and it, it was it was not a good performance in terms of being able to put it on the field against what should have been a weak defense. The world of Twitter is a harsh one, and if you search Jordan Love's name for the thoughts on what people had of his performance, I read multiple comments of people saying that they were so spooked by that game that they don't think that he would be ready to be a starter for that team next year. And that felt like a harsh comment of one game. What do you think of him uh, for the long term? I think they, you know, first off, he should have known that this was going to be a quarterback that was going to require a little bit of development, I think, based on on what we saw there. And second, I, I don't think these people understand how evaluation work. They get to see this guy in practice every day. They've been with him for a season and a half now. 
yes, ultimately the performance on Sundays is is what you have to see. But if you're just going to check out like that after such a small sample size, then I don't think you have much of a, a place in, in football or analysis <laughs> or, or Twitter. Well, Twitter is a great place for you. So what do you think needs to happen with him in the long term? Well, shout to Matt Greenberg, who shared this with me. If the pattern holds, Jordan Love will be a Hall of Fame quarterback who spends 15 seasons with the Packers, wins only one Super Bowl early, has a mid-career turn down, late career revival under a new head coach that ends just short of the Super Bowl, develops a sensitive ego, ends his time with the Packers by turning every offseason into a soap opera, makes questionable and or embarrassing decisions in his personal life, and turns out to be a bit of a dumbass about a lot of things. Can't wait for this ride. All right, same with quarterbacks. We're not going to go deep dive on Lamar because he's playing the night that we're taping. Uh, but Bryce, you wrote about him earlier this season. He now has three big comeback wins this year. Thursday's result certainly pending. And I know this is, again, the, the Twitter crowd versus reality here. What points are you trying to make about how Lamar has played? Lamar at this point has proven time and time again that he is a complete quarterback. He can play from within the pocket. He can get it done as a passer. Obviously, we know what he can do as a runner, but I think that has overshadowed his acumen as a pocket passer for way too long, and we just need to start giving him the credit that he's due as just a drop-back guy, uh, what he's able to do in terms of seeing the field, getting through his progressions, making good decisions with the ball. He is going to be an MVP candidate year in and year out moving forward, and there's not really much else to say about Lamar. It's tiring that we have to continue beating this drum and that people go, he, he's a running back. But just respect Lamar Jackson. This dude's completing 65% of his passes, averaging 10.1 yards downfield in terms of his average depth of target. Like that's that's not wide receiver playing quarterback type, <laughs> type stuff there. Yeah, and the receiving core is pretty nice right now. Bateman's showing out and... Mark Andrews, when he's catching the ball, is doing some good things. So his supporting cast has gotten better, and he's able to show a little more what he can do in the passing game now, which has been good to see. Another thing that we're going to talk about, because we have Bryce here, Bryce is one of the people who helps us develop football stats. And one of the stats that he's worked on this past offseason to now, we've talked about it a little bit on the show, pressures above expectations. And I want you to just explain that first for people, and then we'll get into some leaderboard talk. It's a pretty simple concept. Basically, the idea behind this is that it's easier for certain players to get pressure in certain situations than other players. For example, it's a lot easier for a defensive end to get a pressure on a third and long when he knows a pass is coming than it is for a defensive tackle to record a pressure on first and 10 when he has to diagnose if it's a runner pass and he might be facing a double team. So basically what this metric does is it compares your pressure rate to the context in which you're used. So we can better adjust for usage between players and compare guys across different positions on the defensive line. And I know you're a humble guy, Bryce, but I, I will mention that when you use the combination of expected pressure rate and, and pressures above expectation, this is a really great predictive measure. This is the best tool that we have to predict how many pressures and therefore sacks people are going to get in the future. What's something telling that you 
picked out of the the statistics from this year, the leaderboards, trailer boards, or just the whole board of stats? Miles Garrett ranks fourth right now among 147 players across a full sample. He's been really good converting those pressures into sacks. I think he has 12 sacks right now. I think that the advanced metrics support the eye test and and the traditional measure of sacks as a measure of production. And I think he is making a really strong case for winning defensive player of the year. He would be my pick through the halfway point. And it's been really good to see him. I don't want to say breakout because he's been good, but this is what I would say has been the best season of his career so far. And he's still pretty young. I think he's 26, about to turn 26. So we're going to get to see him for a long time. And he's just a he's just a fun player to watch because he's a monster. The other thing I wanted to point out is the Titans have two players in the top 10 of this metric. Their defensive end, Harold Landry, and then their sort of weird tweener body type guy, Danico Autry, ranks eighth. That defensive line has been really good this year. They really got after the Rams. Jeffrey Simmons ranks in the top 25, too. And I, I guess this is a pretty good segue into our first game preview. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Titans in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to pause to talk about SISBets.com. Coming soon, we're going to have the ability to look at any yardage prop and ascertain the likelihood of it going one way or the other. Bryce, how does the system work and how has it performed so far this year? The way the system works is it takes a single yardage projection for a player, which is based on our proprietary player value metric total points, and then it projects the likelihood that a player gets any given yardage total based on that projection. So it uses what we call a uh, cumulative probability to say there is X likelihood that he gets under 50 yards or he gets under 60 yards. So the really nice thing about it is that it can be adjusted to whatever the line is. And I've had some pretty good success using the system this year. I've made about 100 bets, and I'm hitting on 59% of them so far, which is a pretty good rate. So I'm excited to keep making these bets, keep making some money. And if you want to get in on the action with me, you can do so at SISBets.com. Let's say we to week 10. Titans, Saints. In their first game post Derrick Henry, the running game is eh, but the defense plays great. We're just talking about some of their players on uh, in Bryce's in the stat that Bryce has developed. Five sacks, defensive score. They beat the Rams. Saints got bit by the Falcons in their first game post Jameis Winston. Titans are currently seven in the total points power rankings. Cardinals, Bucks, Rams, Raiders, Bills, Browns ahead of them. Total points per game. Basically, Browns and Titans about even. Matt, how do you currently assess the Titans? You know, I think the Titans, I got to give them credit. They've been better than, than I thought that they were, specifically on their defense. But I got to say, I still, I still don't see them as a top contender, especially without Derrick Henry. I think it's really interesting when you look at last week, I was so zeroed in on Tannehill, and he really didn't play well in sort of the, the post-Henry Titans, but it really didn't matter because they were so good on defense. So it still remains to be seen what the formula is like going forward for them. And I, and I should correct because Adrian Peterson was in there 
and he did substitute bodies with Derrick Henry, but it was not a Freaky Friday scenario. It was a looper scenario, so I stand corrected on that one. But really, uh, in all seriousness, the most important thing about Tennessee is their defense. We talked about Bayard earlier in the year. He's been awesome. We saw him make the big play last week, but as Bryce just mentioned before the break, they are really bullying people up front. Those three dudes that Bryce mentioned, they've completely transformed that defense. Again, they're better than I thought, but I, I'm still skeptical about them going far deep in January, especially without without Henry. And it's pretty interesting when you look at kind of the, the AFC picture because they're at the top of things, but there are 12 legitimate teams in contention in the AFC where it's like you can barely scrap to find seven that deserve to make the playoffs in the NFC. So even though they're at the top of the heap, I think that they're a long way, a long, long way from being a favorite in my eyes. Bryce, uh, your take on, on the Titans at this point. Yeah, I share Matt's skepticism. Obviously, the win against the Rams looks really good on paper because that's another Super Bowl contender this year. But that offense really struggled to move the ball without Henry. Watching Adrian Peterson was painful. And a lot of their points came off of Stafford miscues. Obviously, they had the pick six on that bizarre throw from the end zone from Stafford. And he had another interception in his own territory that they capitalized on. So I don't think that that game was as much of a statement win as Titans fans might like to believe. They are better than I th- they thought. I do have to give them credit for that. But without Henry, I'm just not convinced that this offense is going to be enough to get it done in, in January. And Matt, what has the highest watchability factor? Something we like to talk about on the show for this game. Yeah, man, this is a fun matchup with two two shorthanded offenses. In fact, now that I think about it, this might be the Freaky Friday, right? The Saints make you think that they're of throwing. They're a throwing team, but they're two quarterbacks removed from Breeze and leaning into more of what the Titans usually rely on. They're running back, and I think that's really where they're going to have to to focus their offense, just like we saw them manufacturing. This is an NL team now. Meanwhile, the Titans totally flipped on their head. It's can Tannehill maintain his efficiency as he's relied upon more. Now, all of a sudden, this is a team that's going to have to either rely on the throwing more or they're going to have to figure out a way to get Peterson going, get the other running backs involved. Even if they had Derrick Henry, I'd probably be skeptical a bit about the Titans going deep into, into January. But they are a fun team, and Mike Vrabel is a fun, fiery coach. So looking into this team, I look at teams that are being forced to kind of play the way that they don't want to have to play. Right, Both these teams are playing left-handed a little bit, different versions of left-handed. Add in the two clever, fiery coaches. I think it should be a really fun matchup. And we're going to move now to the Raiders and the Chiefs. And I just noticed this looking at the uh, SIS Weekly NFL Total Points stat pack that the Raiders are the highest AFC team, even coming off of a loss to the Giants. One writer wrote that it looked like they were playing in a fog, given the felony charges this past week against Henry Ruggs. And the Chiefs weren't very good against the Packers. We should note that as well. Let's start with Kansas City, five and four Chiefs. Bryce, have you seen anything from them other than Mahomes that makes you say, yeah, this team could go on a big run? You're kind of taking away my answer because obviously Mahomes is going to give you a chance. I know he's been slumping, but if I had to pick something other than Mahomes, it would be the fact that their defense has not been completely god-awful the past couple weeks. With Mahomes slumping, when your formula is we need our quarterback to be otherworldly and score 40 points a game to win... Wins are going to be hard to come by, but they might be able to eke it out and get into the playoffs if the defense continues their trend the past couple of weeks of not just escorting offenses right down the field. 
This is the start of a stretch in which the Raiders play the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Cowboys as we switch to them. Matt, what's the most important thing to know about the Raiders heading into this game? For a team with you know all the issues and headaches, you know as you mentioned earlier, their underlying performance has been really good. That's what total points is really looking at. It is a descriptive stat, but it really is looking at certain things that have more to do with your quality than necessarily the wins and losses on the scoreboard. So that's kind of what makes all the the, the Giants' loss all that more perplexing. But they're still tied for the lead in the AFC West with a five and three record. And they're in the top 10 in total points per game on all three units, which I definitely wouldn't have expected. So offensively, it's their passing game that's made up for the lack of rushing efficiency. And the guy that's really been getting it going in the receiving game for them has been Hunter Renfro. He's ninth in receiving total points. The interesting thing to see going forward is if he can keep his production up. Obviously, Henry Ruggs is out of the mix. They're going to try to figure out how to top, take the top off the defense in different ways. But you know, going back to, to my time in New Orleans, understanding a lot about how passing offenses are built and you need to have different receivers to fill the different roles in your passing game. You can have Hunter Renfro be as as dynamic a route runner as you want him to be in that short to intermediate game. But if nobody's really stretching the defense, all of a sudden you can bracket Renfro a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see offensively, can they keep that, that production up? Obviously, they've done nothing but make adjustments all season long. And then, of course, anytime we think that they're playing well, they're, they're going to shock us like they did against the Giants. That's just what the Raiders do. But it, it's, it's a team that I think the numbers are telling us to keep an eye on. Again, going back to the total point per game power rankings, Cardinals, Bucks, Rams, top three. NFC, decent amount of separation from the rest of the pack. And it really is crazy. All these AFC teams stacked together. The Raiders, the Bills, the Browns, and the Titans. On any given day, you could call one of them the best in the division. Matt, what has the highest watchability for this game? Well, Mark, for you and your love of punting, it is A.J. Cole. He has created 11 total points punting this year. That's three more than the second-ranked punter. For the rest of us sane people who prefer things other than punting, it's all eyes on Mahomes. Is it a health thing with him? What the heck is going on? The Raiders' defense, as I mentioned before, is, is led by their third-ranked pass rush unit which gets them, sneaks them into the top 10 overall rankings on defense. But despite all the compliments that I've given about them, I'm still bullish on the Chiefs in the division. You know me. I've been bullish on the Chiefs all year long. They're just half a game out. They're in that big clump below the, the Titans that we were talking about before. So I'm still bullish on them to, to put it together. And you know, for all the things that the numbers do take into account about the Raiders, you got to wonder how long they can sustain with just all the, the internal struggles, for lack of a better term, that they've been experiencing. A.J. Cole averaging 52 yards per punt. That's eight yards per punt better than he did last season. That's crazy. You were just talking about any sane person? That's crazy. Punting gets crazy. Browns-Patriots, let's shift to that. Let's start with the Browns, and let's have you each take one side uh, of this game. Bryce, what's the most important thing to know for Cleveland? Well, they're missing Nick Chubb this game. Uh, He's on the COVID list, so he will not be playing. The big thing to know for Cleveland is how aggressively mediocre Baker has been. I would like to see him start earning his keep. If you look at points above average, which is the foundation of total points, he has been below average given his individual context. He's averaging negative points above average per play, which suggests to me he's around replacement level. As I said, I would like to see him do something anything at all that shows that he's even 
worth a big extension for, especially now that Cleveland is starting to give out extensions to other players, which is interesting. But with Chubb out, more of the onus is going to be on Baker, and I'd like to see him do anything reminiscent of franchise quarterback at all. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Bryce, this is a team that's first in terms of rushing, sixth in terms of blocking, seventh in terms of run defense, and fourth in terms of pass rush by total points. So on the in this sort of nine on seven and, and the, the pass rush one-on-ones, all that sort of stuff, this is clearly a team that's built really well up front. It's a matter of being able to, to have kind of the passing game come along with it. He's been held back by injury. I'd say a little bit of that to kind of argue maybe a little bit of in his favor. But to your point, this team is really built a different way, and they're going to have a really, really interesting decision if he's going to cost them $40 million a season going forward. Matt, what about the Patriots? Well, I mean, I think this is actually like a classic early Brady Patriots team in the way that they're built. They play complementary football. They emphasize balance. When you break down their team into total points rankings for the various units, right? So passing, rushing, receiving, blocking, run D, pass rush, and pass coverage. They rank between 8th and 23rd in every category, right? They're not in the top seven, bottom seven in anything. They're all right there in the middle. So this is a complementary football team. And unsurprisingly, their best units are blocking, run defense, and pass coverage. So classic Belichick team, exactly the way that they were built kind of before Randy Moss and them came over. So I think this will make for a physical physical game against the now well-paid Browns front. So, you know, uh, expect this to be kind of another one of these Browns games where, where it's a bit of a bloodbath. You're going to have two teams trying to really out-physical each other and control the line of scrimmage. Just talked about something that could be watchable for this game. Bryce, what has the highest watchability factor? Yeah, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of what Matt said, but I'm really interested to see the Browns offensive line versus the Patriots defensive front. The Patriots are are really physical up front on defense this year. Dante Hightower is back and he's looking good. Jawan Bentley is another nice player for them who's kind of flying under the radar a bit, but they've got Judon. I was I was just talking about the linebackers, but yeah, Judon has been big for them. He ranks sixth in that pressure rate above expectation metric we talked about earlier. He's he's been a really nice pickup for them. But they get they get physical with people and and as we know the Browns have been mashing people in the run game. So like Matt said, it's going to be a bit of a bloodbath and I want to see the unstoppable force meet the movable, so to speak, especially with the quarterback play being as aggressively mediocre as it is this game. Browns are number one in our rushing total points per game. As you said, Chubb, a big factor with that. The Titans are number two. Derek Henry is out. The number three team in rushing total points per game ranks 32 overall in terms of offensive breakdown, which is the Chicago Bears. We talked about earlier with regards to their quarterback. Last game, Bills-Jets. Most interesting to watch, thing to watch from this one, can the Bills avoid another letdown? With that in mind, Bryce, diagnose the Bills and what happened against the Jags. I think the Bills' identity just kind of caught up to them this game. It was a bad showing for them offensively. And I think that it's not necessarily something we're going to see a lot more of moving forward, only scoring six points. But the the Bills are just a weird team on offense. They're fairly unique schematically. They spread teams out to try and give Josh Allen a clearer picture. And a lot of their offenses 
based on like Cole Beasley option routes and Josh Allen second reaction plays. And that's just kind of who they are. And they're going to live with it for better or for worse. And when that backyard football style is at its worst, we get games like the one against the Jaguars where they lose nine to six to a bottom feeder. They're a really fun team. Letdowns like this are going to happen. The defense looked good against the Jags, as it always does, but it's just hard to feel really confident about the Bills moving forward because they're going to they're gonna live and die by the insanity of Josh Allen. I think it's interesting, Bryce, because, you know, like the insanity of Josh Allen has been a, a pretty good place to be for Bills fans lately, right? You know, he's the mm-hmm. MVP conversation, all that kind of stuff. But I'm with you. I think the offensive struggles caught up to them. I don't think that this team has been like this this firepower offensively, like they sort of outperformed anything that we thought was sustainable last year. And they've kind of come down to earth a little bit in terms of what they are offensively. They're shutting teams out that defensively. I think they're as good a team as there is. Oh, yeah. They are in the league. And, you know, they've shut out two different teams this year and they've had a lot of defensive scores and takeaways that have put their offense in favorable situations. But you're right. This is a Cam Newton offense. This isn't a Peyton Manning offense. And we have to remember that despite what Josh Allen looks like with his helmet off. The offensive line is what I wanted to focus on because the Bills run game and offensive line performance in general have both really struggled this year. They rank 22nd in blown block percentage on run plays and they're even worse 26th on pass plays. So the offensive line has really not performed well, particularly in the pass game. And in the run game, there's plenty of running, uh, running back blame to go around as well because while they haven't had a lot of carries, Josh Allen has forced as many broken and missed tackles as Devin Singletary and more than Zach Moss. And they both each have outcarried him, despite the fact that neither of them has been getting the rock as much as they'd like. So the running game, I think the running backs are part of the problem. The offensive line share it as well. In the passing game, the interceptions and the sacks are what you saw catch up in this game to Josh Allen. But two straight games now where he's dropping back at least 45 times with an dot below six yards per attempt. He's not pushing the ball downfield. He needs to be up over nine yards per attempt in the average depth of target when he's at his best. He was at eight and a half for the entire 2020 season. He's got this arm strength to go with the running ability. You have to use the arm strength. You have to push the ball down the field or else everything's just going to get too constricted back there, as we saw in this one. Use that arm strength. That's what you're trying to say. How do you explain the performance of the Jet backups uh, relative to Zach Wilson this year, Bryce? Zach Wilson is bad. Is Mike White good? You're not going to entrap me like this, but uh, (laughs) I would like to point out that Zach Wilson was tracking to have one of the worst interception rates since we began charting football prior to the injury. We probably should have expected that coming out of BYU just because he plays like a chicken with his head cut off. And I think that this is more a symptom of some normalcy at quarterback than anything else. Zach Wilson's style play is reckless to say the least. And when they're not shooting themselves in the foot, they can resemble an NFL offense. So I I think this is just more or less a case of addition by subtraction. That's been surprising that without him, they resemble an NFL offense. That's more than I would have thought, honestly. What you're saying is play Mike White. I would. There's more to that decision than, than, than goes into that. Hey, he does have great arm talent, right? We saw him throw the ball 70 yards down the field, but might be Sam Darnold 2.0 so far. All right, let's close the show with scouts and stats. Speaking of the NFL draft, Matt, let's start with the stats. 
How do you handicap the race for the team that will pick number one in the NFL draft? Yeah, I mean, in terms of odds, it's pretty easy. The Lions are 0-8. They've got the best chance. The Texans at 1-8, the next best chance. Everybody else has at least two wins. So by virtue of having zero wins, the Lions definitely have pole position. But I would argue, uh, you know, based on my eye test, that they have been the much better team than Houston. Tyrod Taylor being back changes that a little bit for Houston. He's obviously a big upgrade compared to just how lost they look in the in the Davis Mills experience. But, you know, I think that, that the Lions, I like the, the, the kneecap tacking approach. I, I didn't like Houston looking really uninspiring against then one win Miami. Total points actually does have the Texans at 29th above the 30th ranked Lions. But then the real story becomes the 31st ranked Washington football team and the 32nd ranked Bears, despite being three and six and feeling good about their young quarterback, at least in the last couple of games. So still got to go with one of those two teams there. I'd probably say the Texans, but the numbers do say the Lions. It's funny how the perception of the worst team in football differs a little slightly from the statistical nature of the discussion. Bryce, scouting take. If the draft were today, who would be in the running for the number one pick? I I think it has to be Kayvon Thibodeau. I think that would be the smart choice. There's also the possibility that one of the quarterbacks from this book class manages to sneak in there and a team reaches on them. But if it were me, I would I would pull the trigger on Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge rusher out of Oregon, all day. What do you like best about him? He's a freak, more or less. He's big. He's strong. He's explosive. I don't have a great sense for how refined he is yet, but I know Matt will agree with me on this. Young players of his physical talents who are productive are very much worth taking a shot on. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a physical freak, has been fairly productive in terms of a 20.5, 21.5% pressure rate thus far this season on, on his 147 pass rush snaps. Yeah, Mark, what do we like? We like guys that, that make quarterbacks' lives miserable. And this wraps up the Off the Charts podcast. You can find our content at sportsinfosolutionsblog.com and Sharp Football. You can try SIS Bets, the SIS Data Hub, and Data Hub Pro, as well as find us on Twitter at sportsinfo underscore SIS and football underscore SIS, and subscribe to Corey March's football newsletter. That's a lot of content. Look out for our company rebranding coming soon. For Matt, Bryce, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the Off the Charts Football Podcast.